0: Welcome to the One Verse Podcast.
1: Welcome to the One Verse Podcast, the number one podcast in the metaverse. Thank you for liking, subscribing, commenting. We're here with the one and only Don Preston. This man is a legendary musician who has changed
2: a lot of lives. Um, What's up, Don? How you been? I'm great. I feel good. Uh, I start playing tennis tomorrow again after... uh, Three months of being off and I had a lot of work to do in here and stuff and so I but I'm starting up that again it's uh, that's probably why I'm here because I played tennis most of my life we love your Important. tennis um
1: the first thing we want to let our audience know is how old are you
2: I'm 89 years old. Oh so my! Goodness. Wow, man! Round of applause for you, man! September. Oh man, That's, round let's get the round of applause man. for that. That's
1: amazing. Man. Just right there is a gift. <laughs>
3: <laughs> this guy is a legend. Um, man. He's uh, a legend. Let me
2: let me just say that I don't feel, I mean, much different. There's a couple of things that are happening in my life that are different, but. Physically, I feel like I, I could race you down the block and <laughs> possibly That's, win. We can play tennis um, together if you want. Oh, I, I, I love it. I, I was a B player for a long time, and I'm, I'm, now I haven't played for – I don't even know if I can hit the ball, but I'm going to go out <laughs> there tomorrow at 2 o'clock.
1: That's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, Man, we would should you definitely say get a that you are the
2: time. oldest person in – horizon vr system i actually don't know that but i've never met anyone older than me.
1: i haven't either a few people i wonder they were close audience uh, comment if you've met anybody 89 or older and um i'm just gonna declare you right now the oldest man in the metaverse <laughs> which is
2: amazing okay. um, <laughs> yeah honestly
1: <laughs> well so, so we, we have actually thing,
2: it, in here yeah, i've, I've, I've built one world and i've I've got i started another world before that world and uh that the one i started is so complicated it's going to take me another maybe three (laughs) months to finish because there's so much material involved and and uh just (laughs) just uh you know volumes of stuff so So complex it's going to take me a while i have to draw a lot of stuff and uh We'll just see how that works out. But uh, the one I finished already is, is a beautiful world. It's called Blue Moon. And it's a concert stage that's set on the moon. And oh. you can see the Earth over the concert stage. And, of course, stars and everything. But uh, it's such a beautiful setting. I've always thought that the astronauts who could see the Earth when they were on the moon that was such they said it was the most incredible thing they've ever seen so i, I said why not portray that and have a, a live concert as well ah oh, that's awesome yeah and you watched the, the moon, moon, moon landing day. oh of course i saw the very
1: first one <laughs> that's yeah. amazing
3: so are well, you having anybody help are you having anybody help you build
2: oh uh, yeah i've had are a few people so? uh the whimsy out there is one person that's been helping me. Uh, she was helping me all day today, actually, and uh, and I help her in her world as much mm-hmm. as I can. And uh, so we have we're we're both kind of on a learning curve right now, which is pretty close. She knows a l- more than I do about snapping, and I may know right, more right. than she does about uh, a little bit of scripting that I've learned. Right on, so, eh? Yeah, yeah, and That's another, and
3: another question, man. Like, what got you involved into the space? Like, what sparked you to get a Oculus and jump into the Horizon Worlds? Ah,
2: <laughs> funny you should ask. <laughs> 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 Let's okay, it. I, I'm doing. I, I'm gonna do this because it's interesting. Well, yeah, a lot of people ask me, "How come you know you're you're 89?" How in the hell did you get involved with the Oculus? I don't know. The only reason I have to say that I'm a modern man, you know, a man for the millennium, digital and smoke free, a diversified multicultural, postmodern deconstruction that's anatomically and ecologically incorrect i've been uplinked and downloaded i've been inputted and outsourced i know the upside of downsizing i know the downside of upgrading and i'm a high-tech low-life cutting-edge state-of-the-art bicultural multitasker and i can give you a gigabyte in a nanosecond
3: oh wow new
2: wave (laughs) but i'm old school and my energy oh man Damn. I'm a seeking warm-hearted, cool customer, voice-activated, biodegradable, and I interface with my database, and my database in cyberspace. So I'm interactive, I'm hyperactive, from time to time I'm radioactive. Behind the eight ball, <laughs> ahead of the curve, riding the wave, dodging the bullet, pushing the envelope, I'm on point, on task, on missions, and off drugs. Got no need for coke and speed, I've got no urge to binge and purge. I'm a fully equipped, factory-authorized, hospital-tested, clinically proven, scientifically-formulated medical miracle. I'm in the moment, on the edge, over the top, and under the radar, a proactive outreach, and a radio workaholic, a working radio Out of rehab and in denial, I'm a hands-on, foot-loose, knee-jerk head case, and I've got a love child that tends to be hate mail. I eat fast food in the slow lane, I'm toll-free, bite-sized, ready-to-wear, and I come in all sizes. I don't snooze, so I don't lose. I keep the pedal to the metal and the rubber on the road. I party hardy and lunchtime is crunch time. I'm hanging in there. There ain't no doubt. And I'm hanging tough. Over now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Man, that's, is, is wow. that
3: a new upcoming song? Like, yo, dude, that's amazing. <laughs> is
2: that like, uh, this brings that, us that, into it. Uh,
3: you're a poet, a poem. right?
2: That was a that poet, yeah. 100%. Written by George Carlin two months before he died so i i have it down you know i'm getting it so i i, I just had to read that you know and because it's appropriate
3: so th- that's kind of like appropriate what appropriate that's kind of like what inspired you to get involved into this futuristic space of like connected into the metaverse you know sharing your ideas sharing your sort mind. of
1: so you are a poet, correct? Is that like a uh, endeavor that you uh, are embarking on a lot more seriously now?
2: Well, I have a book of poetry uh, uh, written. It's actually poetry and stories. So, if, if you want, I can read you one of the stories in the book. Definitely. Yeah, man, I yes, love, love that. <laughs> okay. Um, can you add some more like, ambient music these in the background? Absolutely true, <laughs> and they're. Uh, Some of them are poetic, and others aren't poetic. This one is kind of in between, if you will. But this is a thing that happened uh, to me and my wife, uh, God, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 years ago. This is called The Musician. My friend Bob came over to my house he had had an attractive girl with him. This is Alice, he said. She plays lead body. I looked at her, wondering what that meant. She had a nice body, nothing unusual, no, no big tits or big ass, just an ordinary slim body. About 25, with brown hair, middle eyes, full lips. Hey, Tina, I shouted to my wife. Tina comes in. This is Alice. She plays lead body. Oh, Tina says, what's that? My friend Bob says, "Eh, why didn't you show them, Alice? Okay, she says. Bob takes out a cassette player and then a a cassette. Meanwhile, Alice has been taking off all her clothes, including her socks. She has a nice body. Bob presses play and call any vegetable by the mothers begin to play. Alice starts beating herself in time with the music. She slaps her face and slides. She beats her arms and buttocks. She knows the arrangement and plays along with it, her body turning red as she hits herself harder and harder in order to impress it. In the music, the mothers start playing an excerpt from Holt's The Planet's she captures the dynamics of the piece, at first quiet, then louder and louder, faster and faster. She punctuates each note, first with a pat, then with each slap getting harder and harder, keeping with the music. Her eyes have become very glassy, tears welling up. The music gets to the last section where the mothers played the end of La Histoire de Dot by Igor Stravinsky. She plays the part perfectly playing the last note by shocking herself in the face, almost knocking herself out. (laughs) My wife and I applaud. She bows as red welts appear all over her nice body.
1: Wow, man. Wow. Wow, dude. Oh, man. Before we change topics, I have to um, ask you one thing. Um, Does the reference... um, dancing while you're naked ring a bell to you <laughs> well, ha
2: that, that song uh, uh, take Your clothes off when you dance yes that right out of the mouth of my ex-wife <laughs> so, at, at one point um, my now ex dad ex-wife uh, we were, were living together on the street and I got a knock on the door and I opened the door and I couldn't believe my eyes. It was this guy that he, I couldn't even, uh, didn't know who he was. Now, I had already seen Frank, but the last time I saw him, he didn't have a beard. He didn't have long hair. He looked like a school teacher or something, you know. And <laughs> now he looked like Frank Zappa, and it was kind of frightening. Plus, he had a, a monkey hair coat on him that was the same color as his hair, and it, it looked almost like the, his hair had become a coat. So he came in, and he—I mean—he just wanted to tell me that he had a band and, and that they, the band was uh, working on a record, and, and uh, wanted me to know about it because we had played together a couple of times before, and uh, we had become kind of friends. But I hadn't seen him for a couple of years, and so we were—we talked. But then he started talking to my ex-wife, who was one the, very unusual person. And had really unusual ideas, like taking your clothes off when you dance. (laughs) And and Zappa wrote uh, several songs that were almost out of her mouth, the the lyrics. And so that's kind of where that song came from. And uh, I will say, at one point, I had a record deal coming with a, a large company. And I, I had a band set up. And the only place I could set the band up was in my ex-wife's. Now we were separated. and But she let me have the, the, the living room, which is quite large, to set the band up in. So these guys came, and they were like the top guys at Warner Brothers. And they sit down, right? And we start playing. And, and I, I had some really good... Uh, pieces like good charts for that band and we're playing away and all of a sudden out comes my wife totally naked dancing oh. with the band she's dancing <laughs> wow. away, and and she dances and her sticking her butt in these guys faces and just on <laughs> and on and and then finally we stop playing she's left and they get up and walk out And without a word, what was your 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 reaction? (laughs) A word. What was your reaction to that? Those people. That was a gone deal. It would just never happened. Yeah. What was your reaction to that? that. Yeah, exactly. That was their reaction. What was your your reaction? Like, were you shocked? Well,
0: did you break up with her right after? I didn't
2: care if she danced around (laughs) naked, but not. For a record deal, yeah, please. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, oh, she didn't. She not was the kind of person that you know didn't even you know have any idea what that was about. Mm. You know, it was so about brings me a hundred thousand dollars. That's what it was about. <laughs> it oh was my intentional goodness. To her for her
0: break your record deal or anything sabotage you type of thing. She was just heard the music yeah. and just decided I'm gonna dance naked.
2: <laughs> but you know, I I loved her uh, even afterwards, you know, and and uh, and actually, her and my wife became good friends, and that's cool. And, uh, in fact, that's how I went met my wife. Is that? Uh, no, that's not how I met. Well, our our daughter and Tina's daughter went to school together, and when they were five years old, and then I met Tina and. And we became a couple but uh nice so and it, anyway. that kind but of segues into asked this anything about you haven't asked anything about music yet not I, yet I'm yes. coming that's coming then. but um <laughs> yeah. what when it
1: when i think of dancing around and take your clothes off while you're dancing the other thing that i associate with that is is drugs um you grew up in uh in a rockin time um Was there a lot of drug use around during that period of your life?
2: (laughs) Well, let me just say this. Before I joined the Mothers, which was a rock band, I never played rock and roll. I was purely a jazz musician. And I worked with some great people uh, in the jazz world. I worked for two years with Alvin Jones, Tommy Flanagan, and Yusuf Lateef. Now, a lot of musicians would know those names, and Evan Jones became John Coltrane's drummer. And uh, like that, I mean, he he was considered, he's dead now, but at one point, he was considered the best drummer there was out there. Oh, wow. So that was my beginning, and I didn't play keyboards with him. I didn't play piano, I played bass, because I was a bass player, you know, at that time, and a piano player, but... I decided I'd rather play bass with them
4: than piano
2: because, (laughs) I don't know why, actually, but I I just (laughs) walked up to the bass player and I said, can I sit in, and he said, sure. So I sat in and started playing with them, and now Elvin was very particular and more than the other guys, and he would have kicked me off, they they wouldn't have continued the song, they would have stopped playing and he'd get me off the stand. But <laughs> I was a good player and, and I could do it. I could hold my ground with them at that point in my life playing bass, upright bass, of
0: course. Yeah. But, but, um, these they, are just electric these bases, are just jam yeah. sessions. <laughs>
2: they didn't exist. So these were just like
0: jazz jam sessions that you would go to and just join mm-hmm. them?
2: Oh, well, I, that was in Detroit, see? And Detroit oh, okay. was a wonderful place because almost seventy days a week, any time of day, you could go somewhere and play music with people, mm-hmm. and and whether they were white or black, it didn't matter, you know. Although it, back in those days, it was either either white or black, it didn't didn't really mix too much. And uh, I was good friends with Pepper Adams, who was a baritone player. That, one of the greatest ever, and, uh, and we played a lot, and uh, it was just uh, an amazing place to be, you know, if you're a musician, and so I that's how I, that's my learning and how I grew up, you know, in playing with all those people. It's quite amazing. That's beautiful, man, amazing, amazing. So, oh, one story I have to tell you. And this is kind of pertinent to what we're talking about. Uh, at one point, uh, John Coltrane came to play in Detroit, and I just happened to be living there because I'd already lived in, uh, in Los Angeles. And that I, I had, hey, the guy called me up and said, I've got some jobs for you. You have to come to Detroit. So I came to Detroit. And John Coltrane came in town and played. And Alvin was playing drums with him. And so I went over to Elvin, and I said, "Gee, you know, at the, after the job ended, I said, geez, can I go talk to John Coltrane? And he says, sure, good, just go talk to her, you know, he's a person. So I went over, and I said, uh, hi, Mr. Coltrane. So I said hello. I said, look, do you realize that everyone considers you to be the the person to listen to? To see what's going on, to see what they, how they can play as good as you do. What? No. Shouldn't believe me. I said yes. I said you are the the person on tenor saxophone that is setting the benchmark for everyone in the world. And I said, but you have been playing the same way since you started playing with Miles, and you haven't changed your style at all, and you're playing kind of the same type of stuff uh, that you've always been playing. I said, you know, in, in history, <clears throat> if you notice, all the composers that were composing music all the way back to the 17th century, the next composer played something that was a little better than the last one, and then a little better than the last one, and a little better than the last one. And each composer developed the music ahead of, you know, forward. And you're not doing that. You're, you have to, you have to find new ways of playing, in order to progress music, the way it should be progressed. And then I left him with that. And then it wasn't long after that, maybe three months, his playing completely changed. Oh wow! It was completely. It just went out there, and. I have to credit myself for that. Because <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I would. changed have him. Okay. Of course, a lot of people yeah, hate me for enough. that, but because uh, they wanted the old culture, you know. Yeah. But uh, That's always been my philosophy in life: that music has changed, that it has to develop and progress, mm-hmm. and and that's why I play the way oh I do. And <laughs> do you like rap? I think rap is, I, I don't know, you know what, I mean, it's just barely music. Ah, just barely if you music. want to follow them, they can take you to the bank. I yeah. can't. Uh, there hey. are some poets that are doing rap. That are quite Yeah, astounding. like you just did a rap. Well, <laughs> I don't know, but I would call it that. Uh, there are some poets doing music that is quite astonishing, and it's very syncopated. Uh, we were just talking about it, with Barack was just here in the room, because Barack is a musician, and a very good one. And he was doing a rap song for me, and I said, oh, that's great, that's white rap. And there's a difference, because the, the black rap, the rapers, they go on the offbeat. And and the white ones go on the me. Oh, that's interesting. Thing. So, anyhow, as far as rap goes, uh, it doesn't fit into my uh, style, like or dislike. I, I just, I consider it uh, an entertainment for a lot of people. Right on. And, on. Uh, although some people, I just met somebody... You know, some world. I don't even know what it was. And it was just motherfucking this, motherfucking that, motherfucking everything's motherfucking everything, motherfucking motherfucking and, yeah. and I said, boy, you must listen this to a here. lot of rap music. Cause that's kind of how they talk in the rap music. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Actually, and then talking about well, that.
2: Could, um, could you confirm that, Slick? What?
1: Uh, no, nah, I love rap, but it depends what you listen to. <laughs> right, right, right. right. So
2: there, like any art form, there's good and there's bad exactly yeah you you can't judge rap by the bad rap but you know hopefully you can judge it by the good rap and there's some good rap exactly Exactly. i knew a guy a black guy that was mostly a poet but he would do his poems like rap and and he would like be a saxophone when he was doing it and it was just amazing yeah some of the greatest stuff i've ever heard in my life so that's that was i mean if If that's rap, then
1: wow. (laughs) It's a good segue into the music topic. I know you love talking about music, and um, Big Sack over here loves music, and you're a big inspiration to him. So I'm going to let you ask
0: some questions. So I'm a musician myself, not nothing crazy. I play a couple instruments, but I want to know what got you started. Um, what was the first instrument you picked up,
2: or what? It's funny. I, song I was just talking trigger. about that. Mm-hmm. I was just talking about that to, uh, to Lindsay, uh, this morning, and it was like what got me started was a movie by Walt Disney called Fantasia. Oh, so wow, Fantasia, yeah, in Fantasia, there was a piece they did that showed the beginnings of the universe, the beginnings of the earth itself, and then showing how life developed on the earth, and then how the, that particular life became dinosaurs, and how they fought to the death, and, and also then, then a comet or some kind of body hit the earth and, and clouded the sun over for 50 years. And, and that was the end of the dentures, because plants stopped growing and you couldn't do nothing to eat. And so that's what happened. So they, that music by Stravinsky, see that that whole score was by Igor Stravinsky, who I mentioned early in, in the film. Oh, right. uh, that music inspired me to, to play music. It inspired me to become what I became. And, of course, I started listening to other stuff. I, oh, God, I hear some recording of Miles Davis playing with Lee Konitz. Oh, my God, that was amazing. Miles Davis and, amazing. And, You know, as time went on, I, I became more enamored. And then I started listening to electronic music by Luigi Nono and Lu- Luciano Barrio, uh two great composers out of Italy that... That instead of, they couldn't get their music played by orchestras. So, what they did was they started creating electronic music with Giorgio? Did you say Giorgio? With, uh, hmm? you say Giorgio? What? No, I didn't. I said Luciano Very Luciano, okay. Because there's another Giorgio also out of Italy. He started synthesizers and stuff. But sorry, go <laughs> ahead. Oh, yeah, but we're talking, I'm talking Uh, 1950. I built my—you couldn't buy a synthesizer. There were none. And and the Moog, the major, the big uh, module yeah. Moog, that was, like, still in development. So oh, I built wow. my own synthesizer out of—I had 32 <laughs> oscillators, oh. filters, <laughs> and uh, ring modulator. Uh, I had uh, also a tape echo, which— uh at the time that was all you could get you know there was no such thing as uh, electronic echo and so i had that box it was about this big and by that size and i took that all over whenever wherever we went i took that box with me and we i played it. whenever that required some kind of electronic stuff because he knew what it was capable of yeah the, uh, bam the, there it was and then uh that's, so you that's made the first the the
0: first synthesizer,
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it possibly was, but there were other people <laughs> doing stuff, you know, especially out in San Francisco. Don, I can't think of his name now, but uh, he had uh, he was building stuff, you know, and but I, I became friends with you know, Robert Moog. I went to his uh, Truesburg factory which was a kind of a storefront and who went in there and then uh i think i took acid before i went there and, and he would show <laughs> me like and here's nice. the, the pattern here's the look we're building this mini mug thing that we nobody's ever heard of and i start crying you know because it's so it's <laughs> a powerful thing and uh so and and later on i talked to him and, and i said I Said, you know, I took acid before I went to see you that first time, and he said, Yeah, we all knew that.
1: <laughs>
2: he said, that was pretty funny. Your eyes were huge, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, really. Uh, it was amazing. And I eventually, uh, the first thing I got was a mug, a mini mug. In yeah. fact, uh, we I was living in New York, I was about going to go on the road with Gil Evans, who uh, wrote all the Arrangements for Miles Davis on uh, those uh, wonderful albums uh, that he did with a, with an orc- with a, a big band, and uh, so I was ready to go on the road with him. And uh, but C- Frank called me and said, "Playing at the Fillmore East, get your Mini mug and come on, come down and sit in with us." So I did, and so we're playing away, and all of a sudden the audience goes, Whoa! It was like this big huge sigh of some kind and, and I turned around and looked and out comes John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Oh and, oh my god. And the thing that really impressed me about that concert was that well, first of all, Frank used to do hand signals for the band. He would hold up a you know, he would hold up his middle finger and go like that, and we were all supposed to go <laughs> like that. Right. (laughs) Or he would make a fist and he would uh, he would like he'd go like this. And we're supposed to play the low notes like that. So. uh, And, and, you know, and he had like maybe 15 different hand signals. Right. So he taught John Lennon before he came out on stage a lot of those hand signals. And so in the middle of the concert, he turns the band over to John and John starts doing hand signals. And I swear that he created a piece that was so incredible. This was those hands, getting the band to do this and that, and that, you know, and everything. And it was actually better than what Zappa did. So I, I gave me a new kind of a respect for John because I didn't know he was capable of that, you know, and he was. So, in, in and in, as far as Yoko Ono goes, I mean, Yoko was just kind of carrying new music a step further with her, the way she sang, and, and what she did was planned, and it was uh, based on a, a lot of music that people had written, and so a lot of, you know, most people didn't understand that because they never heard any music like that. So, anyhow, that's kind very, very experimental. What that was the like, stuff she was coming out with. And what I, what I was doing was I was exploring the capabilities of the piano. And I I can show you a couple of things right now if you want to. Is that all right?
3: Yeah, let's hear it. I was definitely Anybody? actually looking forward to that.
2: <laughs> all right. <sighs> uh, all right. So this is what I started getting into now, and this is in jazz, right?
1: Wow, (laughs) it sounds like chaos, but it's really oh, it (laughs) is. I I couldn't, I couldn't do that if I tried. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. That's amazing.
2: Well, see one thing about that. Once again, it's kind of based on new music, which is classical music composed by musicians that are composers that are alive. And what they're and once again carrying the music further and further and further, so and that's been my goal in my life, to carry the music further and further. So I wind okay. up playing something like that, and now what music has become is uh, repetitive. Yeah, you know, you take Philip Glass or Steve Reich, and uh, Terry Briley. Those guys are all playing repetitive music, and, uh, and some of it's quite brilliant. Music for 18 Musicians by Steve Reich is just amazing. It's just so beautiful. In C" by Terry Riley. It's gotten to be a classic piece that people are playing all over the world, and it's, it's a great piece. Even though it's got its repetitiveness, it still is beautiful and, and uh, really uh, energizing. So that stuff is uh, that's what I listen to, you know. Some sometimes people ask me well how to what do you how do you get the way you got what do, what do you do? And I said, well I listen to music that's written by classical composers that are still living. And that's that's how I that's what I base what I do on. Unless, of course, if it's like a film score and there are certain requirements for that score, then I have to do that. In fact, I just wrote a film score that's for a film that's going to be shown here. The film is by Barack, Uh and it's going to be shown maybe tonight. I don't know. Is, is Rock still out there? Is it tonight, Barack?
0: No. No, not it's tonight, not
2: either. going to be tonight. So, so it's... Uh, in the next few days, anyhow. And so I did a score for that film. Now, the film is only about, what, eight minutes? Nine minutes? No? Yes? Four minutes. Four minutes. Four minutes. Four minutes. Oh, four, yeah, four minutes. Okay. Are you ready to go see a, a movie that's four minutes? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, if we wanted eight minutes, we could just watch it twice. <laughs>
4: right.
2: Right. So I did the music for that, and uh, you know it's it's going to be really beautiful. Uh, but, you know, as you guys know, you can't bring a film in here. Yeah. So no- he had to make the film in here himself. But you Yeah. Know,
3: not yet, though. And at and least and not music. of yet. But eventually, um, we'll be able to bring. Yeah, the,
2: uh, I guess at some uh, point there will be a, a way of doing that. You, you can't, can't even bring a photo in here <laughs> now. I mean, although I've heard people have found a way of doing it, but I, it's not. I'm yeah, there's not definitely a way. To do even it. I've seen a couple, <laughs> but yeah.
0: not throwing any names out there. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I, I kind of wanted to ask you, like, you know, as a musician, everyone has pretty much like a warm-up song, their favorite song to play. What? Is your go-to to get you started in a practice session, or you know, when you're alone, you just want to play something that
2: you're familiar with and that comforts you? What do you play? Boy, that's a hard one. Uh, it's a hard one because uh, <laughs> I I do you know if I need to you know first thing if I'm going to do a concert uh, like I've been doing it here. I have to make a, a set list, and I try mm-hmm. not to repeat myself. You know, like uh, over, over like four concerts. Mm-hmm. I don't. I haven't repeated anything yet so far. It's and, uh, amazing. But uh, I can't say that there's one song that I not one. Song uh, I mean, I have some or maybe favorites. an artist or a band that you
0: play songs in general, you know, or maybe some of your stuff that you play
2: that you've. Created. Well, of course. Did you want me to play something? Is that what you're saying?
0: I would love to hear you play something.
2: <laughs> okay. I mean, other than utter chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Organ- organized, organized chaos. chaos. Yeah. It was amazing. Right, so don't don't let me disrespect I it. I haven't practiced the piano for maybe three days now. So I'm going to, Pretty rusty. (laughs) A little rusty, huh? (laughs) All right, here's one of my favorite pieces. It's called "Pound for Brown." All right, I have to introduce this piece because yes, it's interesting. Now, Zappa wrote this piece, and the mother of the invention had just landed on from the, you know, in England at the airport, and, and we had a big bus to take us from the airport to inside of London. So we're all on the bus. And we get into London, people walking down the street and everything. And and Jimmy Carl Black, the Indian of the group, says to Bunk Gardner, Bunk, I'll bet you a pound that you won't do a brown on this here bus. (laughs) So Bunk says, let's see, one pound is like about (laughs) $3.98. I'll do it. So he puts his butt up against the wall and pulls down his pants. And then I don't know who saw him, but that's what happened. And Frank wrote a song called Pound for a Brown. Oh wow.
3: <laughs> Some and, wacky and, and, adventures. At the very beginning, you,
2: you hear the trolley cars going by. So it's like this.
3: <laughs> right, at least you have that button? <laughs> I know, dude. Amazing, man. Amazing.
2: Yeah. Uh, you guys oh, are. On mute. I'm just. Oh my goodness. Huh.
1: <laughs> so next All thing right, we want to talk about or yeah. ask, I'm very curious, and some of our audience was curious as well. Is um, can you? Describe and talk about your experiences with the one
2: and only John Lennon. Ah, um, uh, so you—that's what I was trying to say when uh, Mrs. Nanya. None <laughs> of business. None of your business. I love that game. <laughs> that's great. Uh, what I was trying to explain is that I was playing in the band. I was sitting in. Actually, I wasn't even in the band. I was sitting in. And I was—we were in the middle of playing, you know, on stage. And then John Lennon and Yoko Ono walk out on stage. And uh, during that t- whole time they were out there, I never said a word to them. They never said a word. Well, they did say a word to me. I played a long solo on the mini Moog, and they said, "That's incredible." <laughs> That, yeah. <laughs> so how did that feel all
1: getting that say. feedback yeah from, well john lennon yeah so yeah that did amazing. that feel amazing was that did that like it make did. your day
2: yeah of course yeah i mean i i had a, a lot of re- the thing is i didn't think the beatles i thought they were very unique very lucky and very uh talented but I, I It gave me a new kind of respect for John Lennon when he did those hand signals and all that. That yeah. was really something to me. Uh, other than that, I, I had no communication whatsoever with them. And uh, other than the fact that we played together, and, and that was an incredible experience for me. I don't know if it was yeah. for John. But... Uh, you know it was. it was quite amazing so i did want to ask answer. you
1: um when you were young i was listening to previous interviews you've done and you mentioned mm-hmm. am i correct on this your father had a piano at your your house and you kind of played around with it when you were a young kid
2: yes absolutely mm-hmm. my father was a musician and uh he started his own band when he was about eighteen. Uh, it was called Don Preston and the Rialto Boys. And it was like uh this was in, in like nineteen twenty 1920 or nineteen twenty two, something like that. And uh so he was very talented, very talented. And and he played in bands. I slept in dresser drawers. From the time I was born until I was like four years old. Well, not four, but three. And then uh, we settled down in Detroit. My dad had the offering of playing lead trumpet in Tommy Dorsey's band. And he turned it down so that I could go to school. So that was pretty amazing right there. Uh, And he got a job with uh, NBC in Detroit. Uh, which is called WWJ, and at that time, since there had never not, I grew up without no television, of course, and uh, but there were radio shows that were quite big, and so they had like a full big band, you know, for a morning show called the Bref- Breakfast Club or something like that, and uh, and so my dad had to write all the arrangements for that band, you know, which came on they were on every day. And so he was busy, you know. And I don't know if he was the only guy writing, but uh, he had to write a lot. And, and that's what he did at home, uh, that piano. And that's uh, why there was a piano in the house and everything. And, uh, so that that went on until uh, when I was 12, my parents broke up, and I was put in a couple of schools, Catholic schools that you could live in so I wouldn't be around for all the the nastiness and uh, also lived with my grandmother for about a year and, you know, that kind of stuff. Anyhow, so when I was uh, when I was about 17, late 17, I was uh, I did a couple of bad things at home. And and so my mom says, "Okay, look, you have to do something you have to. So I joined the army. And so I found myself in Trieste, Italy, and I was in the engineers uh, running heavy equipment. So I, was, I used to go to the PX, at, you know, on the weekends or sometimes every night, and they had a piano there. And I would just play the piano, play every, all the stuff, you know, that I could play. And this guy walked over and he said, Wow, you play pretty good. You ought to try out to play for the 98th Army Band. And I said, oh, sure. And, And this guy said, well, I'll set it up for you. Now, that guy's name was Herbie Mann, who became one of the top flute players in the country. One came in first almost every time in Downbeat Magazine, the best flute player, blah, blah, blah. You know, played with a lot of great people. And so uh, so that's who the kind of level of person that I, I found myself surrounded. I went to the band audition, and, and the uh, chief warrant officer, who was the head of the thing, he said, well, he said, I could tell you weren't reading the music, but you did such a good job faking it, I'm going to get you in the band. So I did. I got in the band. And, you know, I was only... 18 at that point, and my reading hadn't developed very much at, uh, also. So, uh, I got in that band, and I was surrounded by musicians. I started writing music for everybody. And I wrote music for uh, a big, the concert band. I, I wrote music for uh, just uh, like a woodwind quartet. and You know what I mean? I just kept writing music all the time. and And, uh, and, and the beauty of it was you could go up to the bassoon player and say, uh, can you do this passage? I mean, this is, is this okay for you, or the fingering? Because bassoon, I don't know if you know this, but the higher the notes that are on bassoon, the harder the fingering is. And it can get really mm. rare. It's horrible. So uh, I, I had that opportunity of finding out what worked you know, for each instrument that, that I was writing for. And so I had a really strong background with that, uh, being able to write music and and conduct. And and also, I conducted The History of a Soldier, a piece I I mentioned earlier, by Stravinsky, which was for about uh, seven musicians. And uh, I think it was violin, bass, trumpet, clarinet, and uh, bassoon and per- percussion that was the seventh so that that was really amazing to, for me to be able to do all that stuff, you know and, and I was also I mean we play the way that it, the, the day looked was that you play in the concert band in the morning you play in the big band in the afternoon and then after everyone ate dinner, we just jammed together, you know, play, play jazz tunes and, and play jazz. So, I mean, can you imagine that going on every day for two and a half years? Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. Totally amazing. That's how I learned to play bass. One night I took some speed which, <laughs> uh, over in Italy. The speed is like <laughs> way more powerful. Anyhow, I chewed up some speed, you know, in cotton. Snorted it or you ate it? No, just uh, came in an inhaler. You just chewed the cotton in the inhaler. Oh, and, okay. Uh, and so I walked eight miles into town because we were stationed outside. We, the band was living in a, an abandoned whorehouse. And <laughs> it was perfect for the band because it was a big dance floor, you know, on the ground floor. And then... We had a barber, we had uh, uh, a bar. It was was just perfect. So uh, I walked eight miles into town. I saw this club there. I walked in. There was a band playing, and there was a bass leaning against the wall. So I played with them. I asked them if I could play bass. Oh, yeah. Prego, prego. And they would... uh, Uh, So I went over and picked the bass up and started playing. Never played a bass in my life. And I played for about at least three to four hours.
4: That's amazing.
2: And then I walked eight miles back to Tria with our our building. And from that day on, I started practicing the bass. So when I got to, to play with Elvin Jones in Detroit, I could play. No, oh, I could play really good. Any other questions? Real quick, ever.
3: so and, and for the viewers that are listening from Spotify and watching that don't really know much about you or even have an Oculus to get in the space to know about you, what kind of yeah. big artists or big names have you played with Like back in uh, the that's days? That's
2: the thing that nobody's asked yet, <laughs> except before we can. I've been waiting on that, actually. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mentioned that John uh, Lennon and Yoko Ono, so I, I played with them. Uh, we, Frank did a movie called 200 Hells," And in the movie, he hired Ringo Starr to play him. So Ringo Starr was dressed up like Frank Zappa and and doing lines like Frank Zappa would and blah, blah, blah. Now, as many of you may know or may not know, when you're making a movie, it doesn't just go consecutively, you know, down the line and and the way you think, the way you're seeing it. There's all kinds of reasons why they have to stop and reset the lights and reset the camera, blah, blah, blah. And so during those times, Brinkle would get on the drums and I would get on the keyboard and we'd just rock out. So we really had an amazing time just playing together like that. Right on. And also, one thing I found about Ringo is that his playing is very basic, but but he had such good time. It was just amazing. It was it really swung, and even though it was rock, you know, which is eight note based music, it swung. Even uh, like you, I always think of jazz, which is twelve based notes, uh, as and there's a, <laughs> there's a whole story there. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> Ringo, he even playing playing uh, rock and roll, really, really kicked by. And and that's, that's what i really loved finding out about him. So, uh, and let, all right. Two of the guys that were in the second band that I performed was Mark Bowman and Howard Kalen. And those are the two lead, main lead singers of the Turtles and the Turtles like had some financial problems, uh, some kind of stuff. They were breaking up, blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, and the other side of the coin was that, uh, Robbie Krieger from the doors called me and wanted me to play on his first album, uh, which I did. And, and also I played on the second album, The thing about Rod that I liked about Robbie is that he was a tennis player. (laughs) So he and I used to play tennis together all that. And (laughs) pretty amazing. I'll tell you a very short story about that. Okay. Uh, I I went to Robbie's house and he lived in this really amazing house, you know. And I said, Wow, how did you get this house? He said, Well, it wasn't easy. He said, I went to this house. And, and a woman, you know, answered. I knocked on the door. A woman answered, you let me in, showed me all around the house. And said, she said, I'm sorry, I can't let you see the master bedroom. But you can't buy a house without seeing the master bedroom.
4: <laughs>
2: and she said, OK, I'll show you the master bedroom. So she opened the door and in in the bedroom, in the bed, was Marlon Brando, who was really sick as hell, because he'd eat, He'd fasted for twenty-five, no, twenty days. I think it was. Oh wow! And he broke its. He broke its fast by eating a half gallon of ice cream, which is oh, the worst possible thing. That you could, could do. kill you. Yeah, your blood sugar goes crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, I've fasted a lot in my life, fifteen days and so on. Yeah, and if you do it right no problems. And then it's it's the getting the food
1: back your in your body. system is the scary,
2: dangerous part. Not the fasting, you start right? with orange juice. Start with exactly. juice, and then you, you slowly improve. But the thing about fasting is that your body gets rid of any impurities in the body. Cancer, all that, you have, all all that toxic energy,
1: all that
3: toxic... I think you could kill cancer
2: with fasting... I, I well the thing yeah right you have to make your body totally alkaline to kill down cancer, which is not easy to do but it's possible. They even make alkaline water and that's most a
1: drink. one question I did want to ask you is I told you this before. Um, you're over three of my whole entire lives, and a wise man once said the best thing in the most valuable thing you could do in your life is talk to somebody over 70 years old um, if there's any words of wisdom just about life in general from what you've learned in your experiences is there something that you would share to the audience of uh, like if you could give some advice to us people who
2: don't know what's going on I have some advice also uh, you know first of all don't eat junk food you know, don't eat processed food if you can oh, that's don't my favorite. drink hoax in, and <laughs> in all of that it's one of the worst things you can put in your body uh, all of the, the flavored drinks like that uh, if, if anything I'll drink some Bernard ginger ale or some kind of ginger ale that's kind of yes it has sugar in it but it's, it's not too bad for you other than being asked, you know so I, I would say one of the most important things to do in your life and I try to do this every day in my life and that is I meditate I, I'll even be more precise about it I I chant the word own because in, in the Indian uh, philosophy if you want to call it that Om means the highest power of love to God, or or to you know they they don't quite believe in God. They believe that there's a intelligence that is unknowable. No, no, un, you know you can't even conceive of that. Yeah. So that's that's what I do for 20 oh. minutes every day. That if I don't do that. It, life is hard. If First thing it, in the morning. Life is easy. I do it before breakfast. Okay. Life becomes very easy and very—it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And uh, those are the those are the two main things I would say. You know that that could change your life. It could. <laughs> and what about ego
1: being a man having all this testosterone you are a man like would you what would you say about ego because that's one of the things that a lot of us struggle with is like feeling disrespected or things like that reacting in a harsh way and trying to you know be a man assert your dominance fight what would you
2: say about that i would say ego go (laughs) <laughs> Ego go go <laughs> go. It's, uh, go go It's a... Go-Go gadget. Mm. Okay, I'm going to read you one more thing out of my book, and that's probably it.
0: Okay. Yeah, right. If you want to hear the rest, you got to buy
2: this, it. So this is called mm. when, when I Play Music. Yeah, then we wrap it up. Okay. It's strange when I play music... It's weird when I play music, a specific set of frequencies divided by 12 up and down the audio range, only 12 notes, repeated, billions of melodies made, symphonies, concertos, partitas, etudes, folk music, rock music, pop music, gamelan, kabuki, flamenco, gypsy, zydeco, rhythm and blues, country western, hip hop, and rap, just to name a few out of just 12 notes. And what was that sound like that created the universe, the Big Bang, that rang throughout the void, creating visions beyond comprehension, endless distances, fast, mind-boggling, quantum qualities. It's not enough just to press the keys, blow the horn, scrape the cat got on nylon. I have devised a way to listen as I play, to listen for that faint impulse from somewhere inside, showing me what or how to say the message that I intended of the piece. When I think, oh, when I think, the music comes out bad, and if it could smell, it would stink. And it's sad, and it makes me (laughs) mad that I can't force the music out, but the mind is limited. The voice I hear inside is not. It draws upon the creation of the universe. The process works at the speed of thought, faster than light. Try as I might, I can't come close to that brilliance, that intelligence with the experience of a thousand lifetimes. So I tell my ego, go, go away and let this other voice in me play the music. Let these impulses be my guide, my beacon in the night. Let me be the instrument. That allows this inside essence to communicate all the emotions and mathematical complexities of music.
0: Wow. That was great. Wow, man. <laughs> we wish, I, I wish I could
1: talk to you all day long, right, because no. you're a special individual. It's so funny. Like, I really, I find it hard to believe that. Um, or not hard to believe, but it's amazing to me that you have pretty much been involved in music your whole entire life. Like even my generation, there's people like, don't do music, be a re- get a real job. Music's never going to take you anywhere. And you're kind of like the mm. exception to that whole entire thought.
2: Well, also, I have to say that music is one of the hardest things you can do to make a living at. And I can't say I honestly made a living at it, although I've been lucky here and there and got some big money at some various times. And uh, I've never been hurting. You know, I've never been, although, like as I pointed out at my wife's 50th anniversary, she has a beautiful golden ring with uh, a beautiful stone. I've pounded that ring about twenty times, just to uh, no, you, you know, haven't. Just to get to the next uh, money that's coming in, and so on. Oh wow! So You've got it back every time. Yeah, I got it back. Sure. Oh man! So it's it's like it's it's so hard. It's, it's like when I have students, I I just don't know what to tell them because it's it's such an amazing. Uh, Especially nowadays, I mean, you—it just—I don't know how you do it. I, it. You know, even if the mothers were happening right now, they—they they couldn't get anywhere. Couldn't get anywhere now, because the music business changed so much. It's like, first of all, they had glam rock, and then you had to be a young guy, you know, in a band of you know, young guys, and or young girls. And uh, and the youth is pretty much it. You know, you, you have to have that uh, in order to get noticed. And it's really a big challenge. You know, there there are hundreds of thousands of bands that will never you'll never hear. I knew a girl that I met in New York. Her name was Ezra Mohawk. That, that's her kind of stage name she did an album i thought was fantastic it was really incredible but she could not get anywhere near it and i asked a producer one time that i knew how come this girl has the most incredible album of all how could she could not get that you know uh, as a big seller and he says i'll tell you why because you have to invest over a million dollars in promotion of that album. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, you're ne- you're never going to get anywhere. So obviously she didn't have a million dollars to put in it. So that's that's one of the big problems uh, today, you know, of being a, a musician.
0: Yeah. So th- and that was going to bring me to you know, um one of my questions, the last question I have for a young a young generation of artists what would be your biggest advice to keep going chase their dreams you know what would you say to them
2: uh, no you, not any of those things my okay. biggest advice to any musician is practice your ass off because yes. if you don't you're just going to be an ordinary musician. You have to be extraordinary in order to get anywhere at all. And even then it's risky. Yep. But if you don't practice your ass off, uh, let's look. I'm 89 years old. I have to practice minimum two hours a day, minimum. And like I said earlier, I haven't practiced for three days because I've been working out in this damn world <laughs> and trying to, trying to, you know, Make it perfect and uh, with a lot of help, if you don't mind my saying. Uh, yeah, practice, uh, practice. So, practice is very important. I think that's the most important thing yeah. of being a musician. And I've had students, and do you think I can get them to practice? They wouldn't practice. And finally, I had this one guy who was great. He was too good, wrote great songs. He would never practice. No, I showed him all the things you could practice that that are, you know, really great for your fingers and everything. No, didn't want to do it, but so, and he'll probably never get anywhere with with this stuff because he can't perform it. Mm-hmm. He can only make an attempt at performing it because he doesn't have the chops to do it. Yeah. So when See, I was right in my now, band, I, I would play for three days, and I can play pretty good, you know, because uh, it, it holds over. But I mean, if I didn't practice tomorrow, then it would really start showing.
0: You can yeah, play amazing, so. <laughs> we'll correct you on that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know, when it's extended periods, so, really period, do. so you know, like I was in a band for a couple of years and I would practice like minimum for me was four hours a day, plus practice yeah. with the band. You know, plus a jam yeah. session after. So, you yeah, know, I, I practiced so much and I was getting I was getting really good. But then something happened and I just stopped for two years. You know, and, and that was one of the worst decisions I could have ever made is just taking that <laughs> break. You know, I wish I yeah, would have yeah. just played every once in a while. But everything I lost, you know,
2: um, I picked yeah, a couple of a little bit of it ever. up,
0: but... This all that progress i do
2: you at all big sack uh, i have to say that if you're in a in in all of our lives you have to be careful about number 1 how you treat women yeah how you treat other people mm-hmm. and how you treat yourself because right. There's a thing called karma, and that is, it is like God doesn't have to punish you; yes, you baby. punish yourselves. And people that are, you know, some people have no conscience at all; they don't have any. Uh, in other words, they'll go and kill people right and left, and they feel like they don't have any conscience. But they, everyone does, no matter who you are, and, and it catches up with you no matter what. And so if sometimes some reasons why, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying that you have to live a good life in order to, to excel at anything. That's all. We should tell that to Russia.
1: Forgiving yourself and story. loving yourself is, is one of the most hard things for probably all of us. I have a hard everybody. time loving myself. Yep. It's yeah. it's a daily struggle actually believing that you are worth anything, right? Um, so that's good that you said that. Um, it makes yeah. us all human and connect in a way. Like even if we're beating everybody up for their flaws, it's just because deep down inside the person is hurting and they want somebody else to
2: hurt, right? It's – Yeah it's a funny thing right. well it's what it is you know yeah. that's all I know
1: and that have you it. ever felt oh sorry have you ever like felt you like messed up or let down or have you ever messed up during a performance that's the big question um mm. That'd be a terrible feeling, I'm
2: sure. I no, no. I mean, it I mean, is, I'm trust thinking me, I have. <laughs> I, I have to say that no, I haven't. I mean, I I worked very hard to you practice your ass off. Got uh, that music. Uh, just to give you an example, I I, I mean, I'm mostly talking about Zappa. When I joined the band, Zappa played. We had one song called "Little House I Used to Live In," and I'll just show you a, a kind of a thing
1: that we used to do. Don Preston's headset died. Yeah, and that's it. Um, no, guys. Well, thanks me. for
3: Don Preston for coming in. I know he's not here right now, but thanks for checking out. It was, it was an honor to have a legend. It was an honor to have a legend here, Don Preston. Yeah. Cheers to him for the listeners watching. Thank you guys for coming and joining the show. This oh, is Neil versus the whole this time. Is we appreciate this it is Big so Isaac. much. Thank you guys for coming and checking
5: it out. <laughs> <laughs> she said I'm tipping.
4: out. <laughs> hey, I'm gone, bro. <laughs>